And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Interrupting each other. Jinx. Like always. I was going to say, I feel like maybe we need to update the theme song, you know? Like, you remember how, like, the Cosby show, like, when it came back for the second season, it had a different theme song? I remember being so pissed about that, like, what happened? (laughs) Oh, so you're a big Cosby fan, are you? (laughs) No. Uh, Anyway. Uh, Yeah, no, we can can definitely do that. Wouldn't it just be funny to, like, if we had an alternate version of it that was, like, ukuleles or something, you know, playing the same melody? (laughs) <laughs> get somebody to do a trumpet yeah let's do that let's uh let's look into that but we'll to play have... all the same stupid piano licks i can get out the tabla yeah i've derailed this episode already i'm sorry <laughs> back well, to your back to your introduction <laughs> if only they had been riding a train speaking of derailing <laughs> god <laughs> too late <laughs> too soon <laughs> All right, this is the backstory with Tom Bridwell and Chris Holt. And this uh, this episode we're going to talk about, this episode 22, by the way, and it's going to be about a tragedy that happened in 1977. Yes, that's and probably the last time we'll be laughing through this episode because the rest of it's just horrific. It's pretty it's bad. Awful. Yeah. But there was this amazing band um, in the 70s, a southern rock band that uh, everyone knows, Leonard Skinnerd. But very few know how to spell it. <laughs> That's right, Chris. It's actually Algonquin for bad speller. <laughs> it's kind of like people who misspell Zeppelin all the time and leave yeah. out the other E. It's, yeah. the, it's Zeppelin. Yeah. Oh, exactly. my God, that trace. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. God. I'm calling all of you people out that do that. Stop. Yes, um, the, the Skinnerd plane crash tragedy. Oh, it's horrible. October 20th, 1977. And go. Well, um, we should probably talk a little bit about the history of Skinner just to kind of uh, see where they were uh, in 1977. A fascinating band. Uh, you know, the, the, they started in Jacksonville, uh, Florida in 1964. It all started with an incident in a, at high school on a baseball diamond. The teenage Ronnie Van Zant hit a baseball that happened to hit Bob Burns in the head and knocked him out cold. That's funny. I didn't yeah. know that. And they became friends, and Bob Burns was friends with a guy named Gary Rossington who played guitar, and the three of them decided to start a band together, which then led them to Alan Collins, and you know, five years later and many name changes along the way, they eventually decided to name their band Leonard Skinnerd with a plethora of whys. And they were trolling an old gym teacher of theirs whose name was Leonard Skinner. <laughs> it's hard to say all of that at once. Whenever I think of trolling an old gym teacher, I just think of Castanja. Can't stand ya. <laughs> <laughs> so Leonard Skinner was the uh, inspiration for the band name, and he was an old teacher who used to berate them for having long hair, and they thought it would be funny to get him back by naming their band after him. So anyway, anybody who knows Skinnerd knows that they had some great success in the early to mid-70s. You know, your first record with Freebird, Tuesday's Gone, and then, of course, the second record, Second Helping, had Sweet Home Alabama. Suddenly, everybody's rich. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were very, very successful. But by the mid-70s, uh, they were kind of falling into that cliche that uh, so many 
rock stars at the time had kind of developed, you know, drug addictions and alcohol problems and it was all kinds of indulgences and they were not selling as many records. And uh, by 1977, they were in need of a bit of a uh, revamping and uh, a little bit of revitalization. And that came in the form of a guitar player named Steve Gaines. This guy, Steve Gaines, came in uh, when Ed King, who uh, was their third guitar player, they had Alan Collins and they had Gary Rossington, and Ed King, who had written Sweet Home Alabama, left the band, and Steve Gaines came in. And this guy, Steve Gaines, was a monster guitar player, and he really reinvigorated them. And not only was he a great guitar player, but he was a great singer, and he was a writer. Like, he was bringing in material that he had written, and he was co-writing things with Ronnie. And they started making this record called Street Survivors, which was their fifth album. And the band was still pretty messed up at the time. Alan Collins, Gary Rossington uh, were both... Rossington in particular was in bad shape and mm-hmm. uh, there was a song that smell called that smell which was about gary rossington wrecking his brand new car and wrapping it around a tree and you know there was the smell of death surrounds you uh, some say it was ronnie van zant being uh eerily prescient of his own demise which we'll talk about also that that he claimed he would never live past 30 uh, Crazy. But, but he seemed highly aware of things that were going wrong within the band. And so bringing in somebody like Steve Gaines uh, really was a shot in the arm to the band. It's famous for this awesome track. Yeah, this is I Know a Little. But listen to that playing, though. This is like the one that doesn't fit, but it's so badass. Back when you had to play it on tape, and if you didn't get it right, you yeah. just accepted it. I mean, the, the guitar it. chops there. I mean, the, the, the thing is, all those guys in Skinner were great players. Yes. Ronnie was a great front man, great singer. This is another track on that same album. Yeah. And this is Steve Gaines singing a co-lead vocal with Ronnie Van Zandt. That's Steve Gaines. That's Ronnie. It kind of sounds like China Grove, just a teeny bit. 1977. <laughs> Billy Powell on keys. Monster. We've referenced him so many times on the show because of your <laughs> Billy Powell licking on yeah. the piano intro. Dude, I, I couldn't, I am not fit to shine Billy Powell's shoes. Billy Powell had a perm you could set your watch to. <laughs> I, I swore we weren't going to laugh through this episode, and you're just killing Come me, on, dude. dude. You're killing me. Uh, okay, so anyway, you get the point. Steve Gaines came in. The band was revitalized. They made this record, Street Survivors. They booked a huge tour. This was going to be their biggest tour ever. They were set to play Madison Square Garden. The band, they, they had their issues, but things were looking quite good. And they were right at the beginning of their tour, There was only one thing that was really kind of wrong with this equation, and it was the plane. A Convair CV240, built in 1947, twin engine. With 29,000 flight hours. hours already logged. And this plane 
was so messed up that Aerosmith, at the height of their substance abuse and cocaine-fueled delusion, they rejected this plane. Aerosmith actually had looked into leasing this plane for their Draw the Line tour, and when Aerosmith's management went and looked at it, they thought the plane was so shitty that they were like, wow, no, we can't use this plane. They, they even claimed that the two pilots, Walter McCreary and William Gray, were smoking and sharing a bottle of Jack Daniels. The two pilots, yeah, when they went it. to do the inspection of the plane... It's just insane to even think that that could happen. There's a really great feature in Rolling Stone which talks about some of the relatively unknown details of this. And I, I, I remember reading and I actually sent it to you. But one of the things that was theorized was that Skinnerd was notorious for misbehaving mm-hmm. on their flights and that they had burned a few bridges with some of the potential private jet companies. Yeah, <laughs> so I believe it. That they were not welcome on certain planes. So this was kind of a perfect storm of bad choices. The Skinnerd guys had kind of dug a hole where they couldn't get some of the stuff they wanted, even though they were very successful and they had a lot of money to spend. They had a manager who was intentionally cutting some corners and trying to get this thing on the cheap. And because he had been offered a really good, cheap deal on this plane, he said, come on, let's just ride it out with this plane a little while longer, and then we'll get that Learjet. Yeah. Like, there was always that Learjet that they were going to get. Before we get into any of this stuff, I want to talk about this whole misbehaving thing, because <laughs> this Rolling Stone feature that I read about this, this is one of the craziest things ever. And this was like, this is relegated to a single sentence in the Rolling Stone feature. But they said that Skinnerd had gotten in trouble with some airline because they tried to throw a roadie out of the plane at 13,000 feet. And I and I kind of read that and I went, wait, 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 hold on. Is that a misprint? Are you saying that they were jokingly threatening to throw a roadie out of the plane? Or, or they tried. they actually tried to open the plane? <laughs> like, like <laughs> how is that even possible? And why would it only be one sentence in this feature? Yeah. And I couldn't find any other evidence of that at all and i'm just wondering like whose cocaine fueled story was that is that in any of the documentaries <laughs> i mean good gravy that's not the kind of story you'd want to repeat no we were so fucked up we tried to throw <laughs> joe out of the plane <laughs> i mean this band is truly one of the most wheels off bands of all time i in my opinion and well i mean but i think it's pretty par for the course with some of the 70s decadence i hear you, and, and, you know, i hear these, you i mean i i think that they were fucked up but but they were young you know i mean think of the things we did when we were in our 20s absolutely so anyway in october of 1977 all things looked really good street survivors was coming out it was an instant hit it immediately started selling. They had airplay for songs. They had sold-out shows, great crowds. They were five shows into their tour, and the album had only been out for two days when they played Greenville, South Carolina. And they were due to play in Baton Rouge the following day. So on their day off, the day after the Greenville, South Carolina show, they decided to take a flight to Baton Rouge on board this plane. Now... They should have never gotten on that plane. Yeah. Because <laughs> by all accounts, they had seen all the warning signs. Alan Collins said he saw an eight-foot flame shooting out of the right side engine two days before this flight. And he was terrified. He told the other band members about it. 
everybody was aware. The pilots kept assuring them there's nothing wrong, the plane's okay, but we'll get it inspected when we get to Baton Rouge, and if there's anything wrong, we'll just get a different plane. When they were getting on board, Cassie Gaines, Steve Gaines' sister, who was a backup singer of the band, mm-hmm. didn't want to get on the plane. She wanted to ride in the equipment truck. Like she said, I will cram in to the equipment truck. I'm not riding on that plane. Yep. Alan Collins didn't want to ride on the plane. And according to everybody, Ronnie Van Zant was the one who talked everybody into it, said, look, we're just going to do one more flight. We'll deal with it when we get there. We're going to get there. It'll be fine. And apparently his reassurance was... If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Like he was saying stuff like that. This is Ronnie Van Zant, who had told numerous people that he not, didn't expect to live that's past just, thirty. That's not of sound mind. It's not of sound mind, but it, it it's just it's just horrible. Cassie Gaines was afraid of flying. She was like, I don't want to get on board. Somehow she was coaxed into getting on the plane. Uh-huh. But so anyway, on the plane, going from South Carolina to Baton Rouge, you've got. The entire band, which is Alan Collins, a guitar player, Steve Gaines, a guitar player, Cassie Gaines, his sister, who's a backup singer, Ronnie Van Zant, the leader of the band, Artemis Pyle, who's the drummer, Billy Powell, the great piano player, Leon Wilkinson, the bass player, and Leslie Hawkins, another one of the backup singers. And there's a third backup singer. for. <laughs> they're called the Honkettes. That's, that was the yeah. backing... Named uh, Jojo Billingsley was the third backup singer. She was not on the plane because she was under doctor supervision in Mississippi for substance abuse issues, but she was planning to rejoin them uh, a few days later in Little Rock. Afterwards, she claimed that she dreamed of the plane crash and called Alan Collins to warn him about it. Mm -hmm. Whether or not any of that's true, who knows? Mm -hmm. Once they got on the plane and started flying, they had 400 gallons of fuel, which was enough for five hours. Now, two hours into the flight, they called and said, we're dangerously low on fuel. How does that happen? Yeah. Well, clearly there was a major malfunction. 18 other Skinnered crew members? Yeah. That seems like a gigantic plane. When I saw that, too, I was like, wow, how is that possible? 10 band members and 18 crew yeah. members. That's yeah. 28. Plus 28. the pilots is 30. That's a shitload of people on a small... Or were they overloaded? I think they might have been overloaded, but no, wait, hold on. There were 20 survivors. Six dead. So 26 people. Okay. 26 okay. total. Okay. okay. While they were on the plane... According to the survivors, they all agreed that they were going to abandon the plane in Baton Rouge and that they were going to get a Learjet for the remainder of the tour and also a new tour bus so that anybody that didn't want to fly at all could ride on the bus and anybody that did want to fly could ride on the Learjet. They all agreed that this was, you know, this was mid-flight. Yes, this was what was going to happen. Ronnie Van Zant was apparently napping on the floor. They were playing poker. There was an intense poker game. Nobody really knew anything was wrong until Artemis Pyle claims he went to the cockpit to talk to the pilots, and he saw that uh, the pilot, uh, McCreary, uh, Walter McCreary, I think, yeah, yeah. was terrified. He, he's, and, and Artemis Pyle is a pilot himself, so yeah. he, 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 he said he— was a war, he, like a war, decorated yeah, war pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd been a Marine, yeah. I think, and— uh, He's the only member of the band that it seems like had a pretty cool disposition, wasn't a complete maniac. Yeah, I think he was pretty, I think he was relatively clean living. Yes. Um, But anyway, (laughs) 
you know, and, and Artemis Pyle had said, like, he, one of his famous quotes was he said, this jet looked like something owned by the Clampett family. <laughs> <laughs> so, long story short, they ran out of fuel near Gillsburg, Mississippi. And they were told to strap in, and Artemis being a pilot himself warned everybody of, of what safety precautions to take. And everybody, you know, he said that there, there was no panic. Everybody was just, everybody got in their seats and it got dang, just, just eerily quiet. quiet and everybody yeah. was just praying. He said, Ronnie Van Zant came up to him and shook his hand as if to say goodbye. And they, 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 a lot of them keep saying that Ronnie just had this kind of weird calm about him. Like he, knew he was going to die. Now, maybe that's dramatized. You know, people mm-hmm. say a lot of those things after the fact, but but uh, more than one band member, survivor, has said, you know, he always claimed he wasn't going to make it past 30. He, you know, he, he knew he was going to die young, all these things. So McCreary notifies the tower that he had five hours of fuel to start, but two hours into the flight, he says, we're out of fuel and requests an emergency landing at Macomb Airport in Mississippi. Once the plane runs out of fuel, then they just go into a free fall. They were hoping to be able to make it to this landing strip, but they didn't make it there because they started free falling into the trees. And what Billy Powell said is he said it was like rolling down a hill in a garbage can with 100 baseball bats hitting you. It says here 10 minutes of... Yes, like like they had 10 minutes... Of going down? Yeah, basically of knowing that they were going to crash. Dude, I, I was just at Disney World, and I had 90 seconds on the Tron ride. It felt like it was forever because I was scared. So I can't imagine what 10 minutes in an airplane crashing would feel like. But Yeah, that, that would it seem would be like a long 10 minutes. absolute eternity. So what happened was, you know, they, they go down in a very heavily wooded forest filled. I mean, some of the pine trees there were like 80 feet tall, and... Yeah, they're just just crashing through the trees, and the plane was just completely torn apart. It eventually hits the ground and skids another 150 feet after that. So it's like 500 feet from impact to the stop, to the plane stopping. And, you know, the wings are torn off the plane. The top is torn off. The cockpit smashed into a tree, and both pilots were killed instantly. The fuselage was completely separate, and uh, people were thrown everywhere. Uh, Ronnie Van Zant was apparently not wearing a seatbelt, which is another crazy thing. Like just the, the, the idea that anybody would not be buckled into a seatbelt at that point. Crazy. But he was apparently thrown into a tree and killed instantly. Billy Powell's nose nearly ripped off. Yeah. Like apparently his nose was almost separated from his face and he had deep lacerations across his face and down his right leg. He had a broken knee. That was probably good for his cocaine use, though. (laughs) It's too soon, dude. (laughs) So Billy Powell apparently was helping dig people out of the wreckage. Uh, Like, Powell claimed that he was wandering around in a daze Mm. for a minute or so before he heard Leon screaming, get me out of here, and then he kind of snapped to attention. But Artemis Pyle, apparently uh, broken ribs, had like ribs sticking out of his chest and he, you know, his shoes were knocked off and his mm-hmm. socks were completely shredded and he had to stagger through the swamp. This So they, they crashed in like a, a, a very heavily wooded area with 
basically they're waist deep in the swamp. Crazy. I mean, I mean, it's. I, I'm not sure I read about anybody drowning, but it's put as possible that people <laughs> would drown. Yeah. Artemis Pyle said that while he was walking, trying to find help, he encountered snakes. You yeah. know, and he was like, like manhandling snakes. Like, <laughs> you're not going to get me. He had to crawl through a bar- barbed wire fence. That's crazy. and almost got shot by a local. Uh, you know, and, and eventually they were able to get help, and then there were all kinds of rescue vehicles and locals pitching in to help throwing people into the back of their pickup trucks and driving. But like it took, I mean, there, there were, there were, uh, rescue vehicles getting stuck in the mud, getting stuck in the swamp. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a just big a, deal, a precarious situation. Just terribly tragic. In the end, you had six people killed. Ronnie Van Zant, Steve Gaines, Cassie Gaines, uh, their assistant road manager named Dean Kilpatrick and the two pilots. And the 20 survivors were all injured and in some cases, like severely injured. Yeah. Talking, you know, broken bones, you know, torn flesh and yeah. uh, long hospital stays and grueling rehabilitations. It was just a, a really tragic deal. And it was the end of the band. I mean, that was like, there was no, there was no coming back from that. I mean, they interviewed Billy Powell a couple of days later and said, you know, Will there be a band after this? And, he was like, and the saddest no. part to me is that it turns out that all it was was just that they ran out of fuel because they. Well, there was an extensive NTSB investigation. Yeah, but like deal. whether it was the gauges not working or they were leaking gas, it, if they could have just known that they were out of fuel. So their their official explanation was that the engines ceased to produce power because the aircraft's usable fuel was exhausted, and. They said the pilots failed to adequately monitor the fuel flow, the consumption, and the quantity gauges. Yes. But the most telling was the final statement that the fuel exhaustion was contributed to by an engine malfunction of undetermined nature in the right engine, which resulted in higher than normal fuel consumption, which would completely explain the flames that Alan Collins claimed he saw shooting out of the right engine. So something went wrong in the right engine. It sucked all the fuel out. The pilots failed to do anything about it. Yeah. So ultimately it comes down to the pilot's failure. And in the end, the toxicology reports showed that the pilots had no drugs, no alcohol in their system. They were system. just stubborn. It was just a tragic negligence. So <laughs> after that, you know, Skinner is essentially over and they've got this brand new record that's out and there was this huge controversy that erupted after that because the cover of this record, have you seen the cover of the album? Yeah, no, they're, they're them, burning up. It's them standing in fire. They appear to be engulfed in flames and the person in the center of it, with, which looks like his head on fire, is Steve Gaines with his eyes closed and his mouth open and it's creepy as fuck. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's insane. So- the families immediately demanded that MCA recall the the the, the album cover, and they replaced it with a, a more a, 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 a similar shot from the same photo shoot with no flames and so crazy. It, it is. It's it's nuts. And you know, years later, when they did reissues of the album and a remastered uh, anniversary version, they restored the original album cover, yeah. which is it's a pretty creepy album cover. But uh, no question. So, so Leonard Skinner uh, essentially ended at that point, and they stayed broken up for 10 years. Uh, but they reformed Skinner in the late 80s and yeah. continued to tour, and they made records. And, uh, you know, of course, I don't think Johnny Van Zant was 
anything uh, like Ronnie, but no, but but uh, but they but they carried the torch, you know. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. I mean, the, you don't have every, to, but I will. Well, but everybody's got to eat, and you know those guys I wanted to you. play together, and you know you you know and and there were, like there were a bunch of great guitar players, and 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 Billy Powell's a great piano player, and there was some but great. Once there catalog. wasn't an original yeah. member in the band, well, but right? but there were for many many years. I mean, you had. For for many years, you had Billy Powell, you had Gary right. Rossington, you had now Ed it's King like and, some Indian chief. Well, but, and, they're, but they're all dead now. Like yeah. there there aren't any more original members of the band. Gary Rossington was the last one. Yeah, you know. And so I guess that's the point where you've got to feel kind of strange going up and calling yourself Leonard Skinner. Well, when, does, do they still tour now? I mean, when that documentary came out like five years ago, well, okay, but they but were since still then, playing. Well, but since then, yeah, Ed King died and Gary Rossington died. Yeah, no, um, I, I guarantee you. That there's still people calling themselves well, Leonard Skinner you, you playing be, casinos you, in the you, South. You got that right. But, <laughs> hey. I, I, but yeah, that's, you know. I it says know. here, is an American rock band. All right, well. <laughs> there are no original members left because they no, are now there all are dead. Not. Let it die for yeah, the love of God. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Every musician has to hear... Play Freebird at every that's, fucking show they ever play. You hear some dumb frat boy say that. And it's like the curse of that band. Yeah, it's a shame because they really were a great band. They 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 were great players. They wrote some great songs. Um, I you know when people say it to me, I'm always like, oh, I got nothing against Skinner. I, I like Skinner, but I'm not going to play him for you. There's a ton of musicians that don't want to hear that ever again. I feel like, and I, feel I know like, you're one of them. I feel so like don't the, act like I feel you're like not. The backstory has devolved. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to distance from that. I swear to God, I've seen you get pissed at somebody saying yeah, that. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm I'm yeah. a I'm a very irritable performer. If you if you come up if you come come up and interrupt me to ask for Skinner, yeah, you're gonna get it. A knuckle me. sandwich. <laughs> that's why I don't. That's why I don't play out anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you, because of Leonard Skinner. <laughs> uh, All right, I digress. Thank you. Thank you.